You don't get it, son. This isn't a mud hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. in broad daylight. I know why you're afraid to go out at night. The Batman. See, Batman had shown Gotham the true colors. dedicated to the world's greatest sect of the Dark Knight of the DC Universe, Batman. Uh, as we return to the cave, as you all know, I am one of your hosts. My name is Philip Barker, along with my heroic co-host, Mr. Craig Blaylock. Thank you again for joining us in the cave. Uh, Craig, how are you doing tonight? I'm hanging in there, man. Gotta be honest, it's been a, it's been a rough week and a half, almost two weeks. Just things that have been coming out and just some personal stuff that I've been dealing with. It's just all been kind of compacting, you know, my kids getting back into school. So there's the stress of getting all that situated. And then some of the news that we'll probably be talking about here in a little bit. It's, it's, it's been rough. I'll be honest. Oh, it's been up and down. I can attest to that. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think blue beetle is doing as well at the box office as either of us hoped it would. Yep. So uh, just to kind of touch on that, because I know you and I really like that movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is not... Well, I think the age of triumphant superhero movies at the box office just might be done and over with. I don't know. It just feels like that in a post-COVID, post-streaming world, things have definitely changed for the, the superhero genre of filmmaking, if you will. Yeah. So now it's going to have to feel like well, I guess going forward, you'd have to hope that, that, that you know, things get reevaluated and things get, you know, readjusted and things get <laughs> reconfigured. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of surprising given that, you know, that first weekend seemed to be doing okay. Like, it was on track for what they were kind of predicting, but definitely kind of petered out really quick. Well, I just think it's not, it, they're calling it, death a little too quick because it still hasn't released in like Australia and Japan and a couple other really key places either so it's yeah. box office run technically isn't even done yet and people are already calling it dead on arrival because it didn't do you know it, it didn't you know clear its its budget back in its opening weekend or whatever and it's like does that really matter yeah I mean I mean debuted on its first week with 25.4 million which was better than expected I think right but not quite 
what everyone was thinking. I mean, hey, it beat Strays. Remember that? Remember that? Oh God! That yeah. thing we that thing we talked about like two weeks ago, where that those one analysts were like, "Oh yeah, Strays is gonna make more money than Blue Beetle. Get out of here." Yeah, that was that that was laugh worthy to eat it's funny you know that was the initial projection for strays was like 25 30 million that whoever yeah that, whoever, whichever dipshit analyst made that was just on something and then you know they they had blue beetle at like you know between 12 and 17 million and it's like oh well how about that yeah what are the odds i thought that i i couldn't believe when i because i think i found that out when you mentioned it on the show when you were like yeah strays is projected to make like 28 to 30 million and blue beetle maybe 10 to 15 i'm like get get out of here what are you talking about i mean i i definitely think that you know again in a in a post streaming covid world where streaming is is a more dominant form of watching these movies yeah obviously it's it's just you know people have made their choice like they, if they want to catch a superhero movie it has to be something of like a has to be something of like a batman or like a spider-man or you know even something eventful like a third guardians of the galaxy film that closed out that cast and that crew like you know it it, you have to like go to you have to feel like you need to go to the theater like even with um across the spider-verse or or teenage mutant turtles mayhem like both of those movies did exceptionally well for the budgets that they had but even still, like, you know, the, those films, you know, Across the Spider-Verse, that also had the benefit of being a sequel to Into the Spider-Verse, but I don't think anyone expected the story to be as captivating and so breathtaking as it was, so that really, yep. that word of mouth of that alone just really helped it gain the legs that it had, no pun intended, because it is a Spider-Man movie after all, but yep. even still, like, that, 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 that movie did as good as it did because it's a good movie, and it, it proved it and then you have the whole barbenheimer situation which is a whole phenomenon unto itself yeah so when it comes to this stuff specifically you know the, the superheroes dc marvel whatever specifically on the dc side i think it's you know if you look at this past year between you know shazam fury of the gods which i waited till it hit max and i watched it on max i thought it was fine it was you know the the first film is leagues and bounds better a better made movie if you ask me personally um but i've seen the first i haven't seen fury of the gods yet. yeah fury, fury of the gods i would say almost everyone in it is more interesting than zachary levi and rachel zegler <laughs> which go figure yeah you know but the weird thing is is like the first film nailed I think the the you know the the difference between mannerisms in terms of like when Billy was Billy and when Billy was Shazam, like there was a difference you could tell, but there was also like a a, a sync going on too. In this film, they're just completely different characters. Like you have Asher Angel putting in a great performance as Billy Batson, and then you have whatever the shit Zachary Levi's doing as Shazam. Because it is just not appealing. Like, every other member of the Shazam family is far more appealing than Shazam himself. And even the villains as, you know, kind of, like, tacked on, brand new for this movie as they were. You've got Helen Mirren and, and, and Lucy Liu. What's not to like about either of them? Yeah. And me, personally, I lean more in Lucy Liu's corner because she was just straight-up evil. And that was 
kind of refreshing, but even still, like the the film makes zero promise on the tag at the end of the first Shazam movie, so it's just like, why do I care? And then to drive it home even further, I'm not really spoiling anything for you, Craig, because they do the same post credit sequence twice. What? They they do the Mr. Mind and Dr. Savannah again at the end of the second movie. Really? <laughs> I shit you not. They do that same thing again, except it's just a couple years later. Savannah's got a beard, and Mr. Mind is like, oh, don't worry. We're going to make I, – I don't know. I don't really even remember the conversation, but my, all I could think of was just like, are you serious? Like, we really went back to this for a post credit sequence when you could have had, oh, I don't know, how about them as the villains of the second movie? That would have been cool. <laughs> nope. Guess not. Wow. And then you get to the Flash, and it's like, oh, do I really want to have that conversation again? Oh, I don't have the will for that. I, I You know what? The, the, the more I reflect on it, the worse it gets for me, to be honest. It's... I don't know what's worse. The post credit sequence in Shazam that introduces him to the JSA, but not the JSA, or the ending of The Flash with George Clooney. I have absolutely zero idea what I'm more disappointed by because they are yeah. on equal footing in terms of disappointment, if you ask me. I still think back to the <laughs> the post credit scene in The Flash, the absolute pointless scene with him and aquaman it it just makes me really like i sat there and watched that and i was like was that just to like remind us that aquaman is still here like what was there was no point to that post-credit scene (laughs) there was no no point to that (laughs) none whatsoever And, and that movie's on max now I don't have a Max account. Craig doesn't have a Max. We're still trying to figure that out. All right, just give us yeah. give us a break. We'll get back to Batman the Animated Series. We know. Yeah. We we know. Okay, we know. Yep. <laughs> we know. But you know, you know what? Actually, now that I think about it, that Flash post credit scene actually makes me enjoy what uh, Scream Six did earlier this year with uh-huh. its post credit scene, where it's just a clip of one of the characters going. Not every film needs a post credit scene and then ends. And I was yes. like, that's exactly they were addressing exactly my issue with the Flash post credit scene. No, it's <laughs> funny. I like Scream Six, even though the plot was a little Oh, okay. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I really okay. liked it. So for like the whole you know, Scream Five, the Core Four and all that, I, I think they're interesting characters and I think they're interesting enough characters to carry that franchise forward, but I still think yeah, that for sure. You know those first three films are hard to top. I do. I, I think those first three are really, really difficult to top. Even though I think five and six are really well made, I still think that overall the ones Wes Craven did are just, you know, they're up, they're up there. In my humble yeah, I'd agree. One and two, I, I have a lot of fond memories of three. Yeah, I can, can kind of. I, I appreciate three more now than what I did when it first came out, but I'm still not. I never not understood. That's not, not too big on three. I never understood why people used to rag on three and still rag on three to this day. I don't. I don't get it. I actually find that one pretty pretty interesting. I don't know why, but I don't know. I I, I just never understood the the furious masturbatory hate for that film. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I ever hated it. It was just one of those like. Oh, not you. Never. Yeah, yeah. It just never 
stuck with me. Like I re- I mean, obviously the first one. I've seen that movie so many goddamn times. <laughs> I mean, and the second the second one as yeah. well. Like there's just so many things I can remember from the first two movies. It's just not like there's not a lot that I remember about 3. I just thought it was funny that they they f- fully went in on the oh shit she's got a brother twist. Yeah. Yeah. That was that yeah. was like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Make good on that." Finally, and and if you're going to turn it into a trilogy, yeah, why why the f not? Do that. Yep. Right. You know, you know who has absolutely zero problem doing anything like, yeah, why the F not? Who's that? James Gunn. He sure does. Oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. Okay, look, I, I, man, to even broach this subject is just not, and not even like dude, the dude specifically, right? Like, I, I think yeah. if anyone knows what we're about to talk about. It's yeah, it it is films. it is just it's it's oh let's try and get James Gunn the same way dude got him in 2018 before he got fired by Disney right like yeah it, it, this this is that attempt all over again but now we're since we're all past that this is a effing nothing burger one thousand percent nothing burger I mean I saw this article and I. My jaw doesn't drop very often, but it sure did with this. I was dumbfounded. <laughs> okay, I didn't see any articles until after the fact. I only saw people on the X app, formerly known as Twitter, um, sharing these screenshots of James Gunn just, you know, blatantly trashing, you know, Tim Burton's Batman and you know 11 years ago right 11 years ago right this is so that's the part that just my my mind can't wrap around this the fact that somebody would put a tweet out or i'm sorry a post on x and say and try to start a hashtag fire james gunn because he doesn't like batman 89 just wow I mean, look, we've made it abundantly clear we are not at all, not necessarily fans or not not fans of James Gunn. Mm -hmm. We're not in his corner, but we're not going to, you know, go out of our way to attack the guy, right? Like, we may crack a couple jokes. Exactly. we, we, we We may try and take the piss out, sure. But this whole ordeal of people getting angry and mad at shit this guy says it's no different than the same people on the other side who Mm -hmm. take everything Christopher Nolan says as holy gospel this is no different than people who look at everything that Zack Snyder does as if that is gospel yep it is now a very cool thing to just hate James Gunn based on the things that he said on social media. And granted, let's let's also be completely transparent here. The shit the guy said on Twitter 11 years ago, funny enough, same with Facebook. Oh, shit, look at that. What a coincidence. Not really a coincidence. Yeah. It's just a phase the guy was in, clearly. Yep. Where he's putting out some of the most horrendous, edgelord, awful shit takes you could imagine all over social media, be it Twitter, or Facebook. The only difference is on Twitter, he just went full 
on you know well to be fair this is also the guy who did pg porn way back when with his two Mm -hmm. other brothers right so if he's given an outlet to you know put that vile disgusting shit that you probably shouldn't ever put in a tweet form and sit and tweet about yeah he had he had that phase. I'm I'm not gonna lie. Everyone had that phase on Twitter where they all said the dumbest shit. It was a bad take, clearly, and yet the, the, that was just the thing. You had a bad take, and people liked it, and they ran with it, and they retweeted it because it was such a bad take. It was a funny thing to do in 2011 and 12 before people got superbly hyper offended by everything you saw on the internet too. So, I'm not at all justifying or saying what he said was correct or good. No, not at all. Think of the shit he said and was vile as fuck if you ask me. Let's see, yeah. what is that? 15 minutes in, okay. But no, seriously, I, I, I think the, the shit the man put out there on Twitter was just vile. Like, the, what what other way is there to spin some of the shit that he said? I'm not going to yeah, repeat is it no, here. There, there, is, there is no other way to spin those tweets when he put those out. Right. So by comparison... He was, clearly, he was clearly just going for shock factor. Now this is him going for shock factor, but this is him just being a comic book fan on the internet. Yep. This is exactly 1, what that is. This is exactly yep. what this is. This yep. is him taking shots at both people who made a Batman movie before Zack Snyder did. Let's also yep. make that very very clear this is also before that film existed not to say that i don't even know what his opinions are on batman v superman or even the snyder cut if he's seen the snyder cut i have no idea right so i don't it's not even so much as i care or don't care it's just something i don't know but obviously if these you know messages or facebook comments whatever they are because they're clearly from facebook yeah they're they're juvenile they remind me of something my cousin would say in in a message to me in a personal dm personally like because well to be brutally honest with you this in one message gun talks about not liking batman begins my cousin hated batman begins don't ask me why it's it's something i don't really try and bring up that much if anyone hates that movie they probably just hate films in general sure but (laughs) no like you know what let's just go through these one at a time and i and i'm not gonna I, I'm, I'm not editing out any more F-bombs. I really don't feel like it. So um, I'm just going to kind of skirt around it in terms of where Gunn places them in his comments. So the first one I have here, the Tim Burton Batman is poorly written. The soundtrack is the worst work of everyone involved, and it is absolutely one of the most boring films ever. Not only that, but the reveal of the Joker as the killer of Bruce Wayne's parents spits in the face of Batman's origin and is a nullification of the bottomless thirst for vengeance that necessarily drives Batman. It pretends not to be campy, but is completely so. And on top of everything, the dark creature of the night can't even move his effing neck, giving how give me an effing break. It's ridiculously awful film. Burton's Planet of the Apes is genius in comparison. And just he's just going for He's, he's trying to get a rise out of people. What do you know? It's, clearly. What do you know? 11 years later, he's getting worked. a rise out of people for Oh, it, it. worked. All, all, the, all that also had to happen, too, was him becoming head of DC Studios and getting rid of yep. Henry Cavill in favor of somebody else. So that also kind of had as a factor into it, too. Yeah. But, no, I, I mean, look, if there's anything in this that I can even just echo a, a similar sentiment about... I think the bit about him, you know, I, I can Joker is I, the killer. Joker is the killer. That's the only one I can kind of be like, okay, 
I can mm-hmm. kind of see your point. It doesn't necessarily spit in the face of Batman's origin. It's no. just it, it's just an a, an addition, if you will. Yeah. Does the whole concept work for the rest of the movie? No, not really. Not in my yeah. opinion. But then again, that's you know we're talking about a movie that came out in 1989. It was the I, first. I love how I love how he ends it by saying Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes is genius in comparison. <laughs> I mean, look. You're comparing Batman 89, Tim Burton's Batman 89 to Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. <laughs> That's not a very good comparison either it or. Like those those no, are just those are just two completely different movies. And again, this this is this is him just going for straight up shock value. Like I said, this reminds me of people like my co- like my like my my older cousin. Like th- th- this just kind of reminds me of people like him who just spew the dumbest vile shit just to purely to get a rise out of people yep. N- now the second one is where people really started to get really angry so this is in response to someone named Sean it says A. Keaton did have a, ridicul- a ridiculous voice that said I'd rather put up with a ridiculous voice than with the horrible action sequences and acting barely worthy of the Batman TV show. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that was his barometer for Batman at the time. All right. I have no idea how you can think that the Burton Batman has more similarities with Moore or Miller's Batman and Joker than Nolan's does. And listen, I have problems with both Nolan's films. I don't think either one is a classic, and I don't even think really Batman Begins is good. But... they're far superior to the first Batman. C. None of your defense get by the fact that despite being the first cinematic dark take on Batman, so what? Stallone's Judge Dredd was the first dark take on Judge Dredd, and that movie is awful. So he takes shots at Judge Dredd, which, all right, yeah. fine. Who hasn't taken a shot at Judge Dredd on the internet? Yeah, right. Right. Especially Stallone's. I'm the law. Yeah. I'm the law. <laughs> right? Like, that, that's just it. That's, yep. that's the, you want to call it awful fine call it awful but the thing that no. really the, the thing that really ruffled other people's feathers was the fact that he said he doesn't even think Batman Begins is good mm-hmm. I well, that's that's certainly a take I'll say that <laughs> yeah I mean look I've been on this show and I've I've clowned on both these versions of Batman, but at the same time I've also praised both these versions of Batman because I love the character yeah. of Batman in general. Like they're it's just really funny to me that a lot of internet nerds just find really psychophantic ways to just take up, you know, and, and, and it, just to get a rise out of people, they'll they'll pick one version of Batman and they'll be like, Oh, this is great about this version of Batman or they'll completely disparage it for the sake of disparaging it in the form of a giant paragraphal text and it's just like, mm-hmm. Okay, you're not impressing anyone here except your own ego, Chief. Come on, let's let's move on. We have we have well, enough business to deal with. They just these messages they just come across as just juvenile keyboard yeah keyboard juvenile rambling just spewing out whatever he can say to get a rise out of people and again this is 11 years ago so this is 2012 right yeah so this is even before he gets signed on for guardian this is probably right around the time he got signed on for guardians of the galaxy yeah because i believe in what was that film he brought out uh 2010 he brought out super in 2010 so his first major film was slither and then he did super 
Through and Earth. then yep. he landed Guardians of the Galaxy on top of doing some other stuff prior. Like he wrote Scooby Doo. He wrote he wrote the first draft of Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead before it got a rewrite by. Oh damn it! Who did the rewrite on Dawn of the Dead? I'm gonna pull that shit up right now. Yeah, because this was right. You're right. Because Guardians of the Galaxy was 2014, and then I think two, yeah, two years later was the Belco experience, uh, experiment, which he was a writer and producer of. Right. I remember him producing that. 100%. I remember that. Which the Belco experiment actually isn't that bad. Ah, here we go. Okay, so the script was actually given uncredited rewrites by Michael Tolkien and Scott Frank from Dawn of the Dead. They they wrote they rewrote it after Gunn turned in his initial treatment. And then ah, okay. That that's how he got the initial credit on on Dawn of the Dead. But yeah, his first directorial effort was Slither, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and, yeah, Slither was the first director uh, director. Yeah, and then. Um, he went and did then, super then super and then guardians of the galaxy right and then from there people have have put this man up there as like some comic book film messiah and i'm like yeah honestly his guardians trilogy doesn't even crack the top five in my mcu watch so there's that yeah but that, you know that that's just me i mean clearly he's a he's a comic book fan if he's you know as passionate as he is to say this shit about batman <laughs> On, in a public forum and, th and this gets me to my third one which this one I really don't agree with at all okay so his last one this is oh yeah and Jack Nicholson as the Joker is Jack Nicholson in The Shining with shitty clown makeup F you everyone involved with that travesty yeah don't agree with that one at all no <laughs> you watch The Shining and you watch his portrayal of Joker in Batman is 1000% different Okay, this is like him trying to take a stab at how Michael Uslan came up with the gay idea of getting Nicholson in the heart in the first place. That's what this feels yeah. like. That's kind of what this reeks of. And look, here's what's really going to come back and bite this comment in the ass, okay? Is if he ha if he makes the DCU's version of the Joker, if his version of the Joker looks visually anything like Jack Nicholson's, yep. this comment is going to come and bite him back in the ass so hard. Yep. Because you can't sit here and tell me that you're going to do Batman and the Bat Family and then not have a chance at doing some version of the Joker when we already know what Matt Reeves' version of the Joker is going to look like. Yep. So, truthfully, not only do I not agree with that take at all, because if you look at The Shining and you look at Jack Napier, two vastly different characters. Yeah. Two vastly different characters. Like, Jack in The Shining, he's not smiling hardly ever, and if he is, it's usually with a bottle in his hand, and even then, it's it's spooky, sure, but he's not smiling to the same capacity that he is in Batman 89, where it's haunting. Yeah, not at all. And shitty clown makeup, get out of here, that's just wrong yeah that's just asinine no I'm, I'm, look I, li I love Joaquin Phoenix he has shitty clown makeup on yeah for real because like, <laughs> yeah, that's that was, exactly that that's kind of the, that was that, the point that's the point exactly because yeah. it's shitty clown makeup mm -hmm. the Joker look people can argue all the live long day which one looks like the Joker from the comics 
It's a tie between Leto and Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Especially with David Ayer recently coming out and talking about how he regretted doing the damage tattoo. Oh, really? I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah. He Well, he's been pretty vocal about the Ayer cut in, a, in the last few yeah. days. He was on Johnny Burnbull's podcast talking about it. Um, yeah, Right, exactly, as he should be. And honestly, I, I don't mean this disparagingly. I mean it supportively. He shouldn't be. You want to know why he shouldn't be? Because his cut should have been released by now. Yeah, it should have been out. Like, this is absolute nonsense. Because this is, number one, I've said this many times. I've probably said this on this show many times. We're talking about Warner Brothers, the, quote, director-driven studio. Really? Because this is the one cat in your studio catalog who has yet to have his cut of his film released. Mm -hmm. You guys, this is the same studio who did how many different director cuts of Watchmen? Yeah, for real. Like, what's the holdup? And it's a DC movie? Come on! You're literally leaving money on the table. Could you imagine if they some if somehow they bring out the Schumacher cut before they bring out the Ayer cut? Wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Wouldn't at all shock me. I don't. I mean, look, I want both. I'm I'm that greedy Batman fan who just wants both because Batman's in yeah, both of those real. movies. Yep. But. You know, it's funny. A friend of mine actually hit me up on Instagram not too long ago and asked about the air cut. And I actually told him some things that I know about the air cut that, well, I don't know if I can talk about here. But, matter of fact, I probably shouldn't have even said that. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, he asked me about the air cut. And I told him what I knew. And, well, look, it, it's really more of a matter of when not if but that when is gonna gotta be a few years away i mean at best best case scenario if you ask me you you could probably maybe squeeze it as a 10-year anniversary director's cut Mm. but air was also you know like i mentioned he was on john bernthal's podcast and he you know he mentioned something to the effect of gun wants to get a few wins under his belt before they do something like that i'm just like Dude, Hollywood is striking right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> His cut is done with a full score. Put that yeah. on max. Like, come on. Who are you really hurting here? Yep. Maybe Toby Emmerich. I don't know, but I don't. I don't know. It the the logistics of why the air cut hasn't been released yet to me. It it really feels like there really isn't a, much of a good reason for them not to release it anymore. Like, they really don't have a good enough reason to not release it at this point. At this point, it's just got to be somebody's egos getting in the way. You'd have to... You, that's really... You'd, you'd have to think that's the only kind of thing that, that's getting in the way here. Because, honestly, like I mentioned, like, how many director's cuts of Watchmen are there, right? Like, how it's yeah. not like they haven't done this before for a DC movie. So... Yeah. it And it baffles me, again, because... You know, this is Warner Brothers, the director's driven studio. You guys made up and did it for Zack Snyder for the Snyder Cut, even though he compromised a thing or two on it. But even still, you bucked up and you released it, and it managed to do you some pretty solid business. I really don't understand why they don't want any kind of repeat success with the air cut, especially considering Suicide Squad was pretty profitable at the box office all on its own, and then you'd have to imagine so in physical sales, too. 
Well, and I mean, go back even further. The, uh, the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman. Yep. Came out the same year, so yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but to circle back to these these tweets or these messages, apparently, yeah, because it Facebook looks like comments. they're like face, they're, they're Facebook, like comments. Facebook comments, more or less. It's just here's my big thing with it: the fact that the person who started this and kind of set this up where these articles started catching on about it for them to for their post to just say well after reading this hashtag fire james gunn james gunn deserves nothing and the account is snyderverse and it's guys come on (laughs) for real why are we wasting our time with this why would you try to start you really think because of these messages from 11 years ago that these studio heads are going to go yeah they got a fair point yeah this guy didn't like the uh batman 89 and he had some uh dumb things to say about it yeah boot him out let's start over you really think david zaslav is going to give a damn about anything any of these posts right hell no. the man isn't even on social media he doesn't give a shit he does not give a shit about this hell I, I no. cannot believe that they are trying to start and again this is coming from i'm not a big james gunn fan either i liked the first guardians of the galaxy at the time it was one of my favorite marvel films but as time has gone on it has been dropping because there have just been better quality films coming out in the Marvel universe, in my opinion. Well, depending on who you talk to, Phase 4 and 5 are a giant clown show. Eh. Which is ironic, because Phase 4 gave you Loki, Phase 4 gave you Spider-Man No Way Home, yep. Phase 4 also gave Multiverse of Madness, so I really don't understand the the chief complaint there. That, that no, yeah, I'm it sorry. Gave, it gave me Multiverse of Madness, which I've gone on, I've said on this show, it is my personal favorite MCU movie because it gave me exactly what I wanted a Sam Raimi Marvel film. Honestly, Sam Raimi M- Marvel Cinematic Universe film. Uh, honestly, the only bad duck in, in Phase 4, if you ask me, is probably Love and Thunder. Oh, absolutely. I hate that goddamn film. That, that movie <laughs> is just not good. It, it's not a yeah. good movie. It, it's got a couple of good things in it, but it's not a good movie. Nope. Not by any stretch of the imagination. And truthfully, I hated like, almost every single minute of that film. And then you look at Phase Five. There are a couple things that I'm like, man, eh, well, that could have been better, mm-hmm. you know. But but yeah, yeah. To, <laughs> hashtag Fire James Gunn. Just it's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's it's wow. stupid is what it is because you know we've seen this before. This yeah. has been done. It. it God knows how many times already with any time James Gunn says anything about DC or anything about Marvel, what have you, anytime James Gunn opens his mouth on social media, it's always fire James Gunn. Like that's that's yeah. one of the most immediate hashtags I've seen, and it is just asinine. It's absolutely asinine. And look, as we've said on this episode, we're not even big fans of the guy like i Mm. i can't even continue to express how just bothered i am that he killed rick flag yeah like that that still bothers the shit out of me to this day that doesn't mean suicide squad 2021 is it i don't know if i've ever given my thoughts on that film i don't know if you have i don't even know if i've ever even talked to you about that 
it starts off good enough, but for me, that film is almost entirely forgettable. Besides, like you said, killing off Rick Flag, there's just really it, it is not a film that I go, man, I gotta watch that again. Right. I, I saw it. There were some moments I thought were cool, but not. I mean, it's probably for me too. It's probably down there in my DCEU. I mean, rankings. it's got it's got it's got a pretty villain in Starro. Yeah, it was uh, cool seeing a villain like Starro on the big screen. Yeah, and like, I I like Idris Elba as an actor. I think he's great. Oh yeah, for in, sure. In a yeah. lot of different shit. Like I I actually kind of like him in Hobbs and Shaw as the villain. You yeah, forgot he was know. the villain in Hobbs and Shaw, didn't you? I actually haven't even seen Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen it since that movie debuted in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that that was one of the only few times I saw a Fast and Furious movie in the theaters, and it wasn't even a traditional Fast and Furious. It was a, it was that. So I actually, I don't think I have ever seen a Fast and Furious film in theaters. I think every single time it's either been on DVD or on streaming. Yeah, I think that was the only one I saw. Um, But... Yeah, that 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 just you know that yeah that that that's the only one I saw in theaters was was Hobbs and Shaw. But anyway, uh, bringing it back to good old James Gunn and Batman '89 and all these things and Nolan's Batman. Look, if the dude isn't your bag, why are you paying attention to exactly. what he's doing now? And I, I just, I don't understand. The only thing I can guess is what you were saying earlier. The stuff that he got in trouble with about those horrendous tweets that initially got him kicked out of Disney. Are they trying to compare the two? Are they trying to say that these comments that he made, the fact that he doesn't like old Batman movies they think is going to reach the degree of getting him fired from his position. Oh, but he's, he's because if you, if the Snyderverse person on Twitter or X, I'm sorry, if you really think that's the case, you need to get yourself seen by somebody because I can't understand how you would imagine that would work out. It's, it's buffoonery. It's buffoonery. I refuse to sanction is what it is right like because it look he's been brought in he's the guy he's the head of dc along with peter f and saffron whom if you ask me has the same smug look toby emmerich had but Mm -hmm. that's a whole other different conversation for a different day right (laughs) yeah look bottom line is that this this dude is creatively in charge of dc studios so that means animation live action film and television and for some odd reason, video games, even though I don't see that spanning long or well at all. Mm-mm. Not anyway. that suicide. Again, this was prior to him taking over, but if that right. Suicide Squad game is anything to give us an idea of... <laughs> well, I just don't see how you're going to try and force these, you know, video game making studios to try and, you know, make a video game centered around, like, you know, for example, David Corn Sweat Superman or you know Nathan Fillion's Guy Gardner like I, I, I just don't see any studio doing that when you know you look at other studio like look at Insomniac and what they did for Spider-Man did they go get Tom Holland no yeah yeah right yeah it, it, it's just 
that that's the whole point of creativity you know you let them do their own thing and that's why I, I'm kind of fearing for that Wonder Woman game from Monolith because this is it it did it survive the merger or not that's the question yeah I don't know I hope I hope it did because that actually feels like a really sick concept I mean they did Shadows of Mordor did they not yes I believe so yeah mm-hmm. so then that's like a match made in heaven for a Wonder Woman story like I yep. I, I I don't get it. Oh, speaking of games, I guess we should probably kind of. Da- I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure how this missed us, but um, the Batman Arkham trilogy is heading to Nintendo Switch on October 13th this year. Yeah, way to catch up, Nintendo. Good job. Well, let's also <laughs> clarify: it's it's Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and Arkham Knight, and not Arkham Origins. Arkham Origins is just... is is just the bastard child they don't care about. Yep. They just do not want to acknowledge its existence. Nope. And that's... Which, which is a shame. It's a fun game. It's got a great score. Christopher Drake never, never fails with a Batman score. Mm-hmm. Ever. And he gave us Batman versus Deathstroke. This is true. Very true. I'm sorry. That's right there. You've already got my attention when you're saying that you're going to give us Batman versus Deathstroke. Especially, like, in it's, like, it's his early days, Batman versus yes. Deathstroke. And it's like, oh, okay, yep. I can see this working. Did you also see that the director of Blue Beetle may have let it slip that that Matt Reeve might have plans for Bane? I I think you mentioned that in a chat with Terrence and I, and I didn't get a chance to look in on it, but that piques my interest because, again, like for me, I wasn't a huge fan of Bane in the Nolan film. I I, I could take him or leave him. I thought sure. he was fine. Sure. Yeah. But I want a true Bane. I want the Bane from the comics that I read back in the 90s. This hulking monster, but is also a genius. I want to see that kind of Bane. Especially considering that when I was younger, the Bane I got was the bird from Batman and Robin. And again, even as a kid... I remember seeing that version of Bane when I went to the theater and I saw Batman and Robin in theaters and I was horrified at the version of Bane that they gave us in that. You know, I'm kind of two minds about it because, look, don't get me wrong. I would like to see Robert Pattinson's Batman go up against a Bane, right? Mm -hmm. But Bane is so synonymous to this one very crucial thing that happens in Batman's history in the same way that Doomsday is tied to Superman and I I feel like honestly I actually really like that when it comes to those two characters I feel like that WBDC whomever when it comes to Superman they always go to the Doomsday well when it comes to Batman they've hardly ever touched the whole Bane thing Yeah. Mm -hmm. and I feel like if you do that too much it can get too saturated too fast and honestly you know the only versions of live action versions of Bane that you know I I can recall off the top of my head obviously you know there's Batman and Robin there's the Dark Knight Rises and then there's the one from the show Gotham that was very short lived I saw that as well well I saw I never saw that I saw pictures of it 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 was arguably even more worse than what they did with Bane in the Dark Knight Rises 
Really? Not even just on a visual level, but on like a whole origin character narrative level. It was just not an appealing take on the character, if you ask me. He was like some kind of mercenary or some weird shit. I don't know. It was it was something goofy. No, I'm seeing a picture of him right now. Yeah, and it, it ain't a good look. It's not a good look at all. But I don't know. I I feel like if 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 Matt Reeves is gonna do Bane, he's gonna. I feel like that that might have been hinted at in the first film. If you think that the little adrenaline push that he gave himself at the end of the first film could in some way be inspired by a titan formula not a titan formula but a, a you know the venom the venom yeah right that i mean i i think i mentioned that back uh last year when we did our review episode of the batman that was a very when i was in the theater watching it for the first time and i saw him jam that thing into his was his leg or his arm yeah and uh and he, it, he basically went nuts on the dude. Yep. In my mind, the first thing that popped in my head is like, oh, shit, he just injected venom. You know, yeah, that came to mind to me, too. I think we, we I'm sure, yeah, matter of fact, I remember you talking about that, number one. But yeah, ultimately. That was the very first thing that popped in my head because he, not only did he kind of lose, I mean, not only did he get the adrenaline that you would think he would need, but he went off on dude. And I mean, he just beat the ever-living crap out of him and sure, that's yeah. what venom can do right. it causes you to just go nuts on whoever you're fighting against and see i wonder it really all comes down to like origin and backstory at this point because you know you've got james gunn forming the dcu under his purview in one section and then you've got matt reeves getting free carte blanche to do whatever he wants with batman as well on the side at least that's what we're led to assume here. That's that's what it they've better, tried. Better freaking be that way. I, I, I look. That's exactly what kept them so so limited back then. Was they would be like, oh no, you can't use this character because we've got ideas for it in, in this movie, and then that doesn't happen. It's just like you yeah. should have just let them do their thing and call it a yep. uh, call it a multiverse. Call it what it is. Just yeah, it's an Elseworlds Elseworlds story. Exactly. Just, let it be what it is exactly and so when it comes to the character of bane i feel like when it comes to james gunn if he was going to use his character i wouldn't expect to see a bane break the bat per se but i could definitely see where it's happened to batman's history bane's a character but now he's like part of the secret six or something whereas mm-hmm. in the batman universe headed by reeves matt reeves i feel like if you're going to do something like bane it's going to be something like Tom Hardy. It's going to be something that's going to be a take. It's going to be something that's a little different. It's going to be, you yeah. know, it's going to, they're, they, I would imagine he would find a way to fit that character in the confines of the world that he's built. In yeah. that, I feel like it would be a more animated series route where he's literally hired muscle for, for a big, for a big wig. That's who it would be. That's, that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. I think if Bane is going to be in the reeves verse he is going to be like a hired gun like yep. an assassin sent out yep. to take out batman exactly it's going to be something like that it's not going to be you know traditional with the vet i mean it might use venom i don't i don't know but i'm saying like i don't i wouldn't expect to see a whole luchador mask and a dude growing seven no, feet tall no, no, no. no like i i wouldn't expect that at all no but you could imagine you know a really hardened you know, person of color from, you know, Brazil, South America, somewhere in there. 
and they are bigger you could imagine someone mm -hmm. of of that you know ethnicity getting to that size like that's not out of the realm of possibility at all yeah and it would be i mean if they have their fight and venom gets involved it would be kind of similar to what happened in the batman it just it causes them to kind of go berserk sure yeah but then if you doesn't, apply doesn't necessarily hulk out and get all huge just goes nuts and is able to beat the crap out of somebody but the question begs do you do the whole nightfall thing again where you have bane break batman's back like but yeah. the, the, the thing is do you do it to a younger batman yeah hmm i don't know i, I don't know that you'd go down that route but or you know what actually i could actually see matt reeves pulling a a, a tom king and having bane just break alfred's neck yeah in a third film have yeah. it be different that way. I could, I could absolutely see, like, you know, a, 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 I could see Matt Reeves' saga culminating in the death of Alfred, which would then in turn lead Bruce to being like, okay, I have to do this completely alone, and that's where you get like a true solo Batman, complete and fully formed. Like that's yeah, a way I could see that working is if they if if you wanted to do something different with Bane but have it still honor something that happened in the comics that wasn't him breaking Batman's back. Oh yeah, sure. Kill Alfred. Break his neck. Would it suck to see like Andy Serkis get his neck snapped? Oh sure. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but uh, if you want to be different, you want to shock people, you want to shock a general audience, yeah. Kill Alfred. And does that in turn almost bring things full circle because in the Batman he was obsessed with vengeance and towards the end of the Batman he realizes he needs to be a symbol of hope in the third film he gets pushed to that brink again with the death of Alfred mm -hmm. and he starts going down that dark path again and he starts becoming consumed by vengeance once again well Tom King had a whole different run going on he had like thomas wayne's batman there and it was a whole wild story and anyway yeah i don't know I, I i i agree that it would be kind of full circle in that you know they kind of tease the idea of alfred perishing in the first film but not actually going full forward with it i feel like that's ultimately an idea that's going to get played out in that saga at some point I, I i if i were a betting man i'd bet that that circus's alfred is is going to bite the dust at some point that's my guess. Oh, given the interaction they had uh, in the first film in the hospital, I, in my head, I was like, "Yeah, this Alfred, he's not, he's not going to make it through this story." I'd be the, the, shocked. This overall, this overall story. I'd be shocked if he managed to live throughout all of them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm. I, I don't know which movie it's going to happen in, but I do feel like his, his version of Alfred is gonna is gonna die. I think you're right, though. I think it would be the final one. Probably. Maybe. I don't know. Um. You know, speaking of Batman Day 2023, um, and that film specifically, and even just Batman in general, uh, there there is some select showings of the Dark Knight trilogy happening in the New England area of the East Coast. Lucky bastards. Yeah. Random. <laughs> but uh, Michael Uslan, longtime Batman executive, recently also put out that there is another trilogy of films being showcased on Batman Day, but not the conventional trilogy you'd think of. Yeah, very when you when you sent this this very odd combination <laughs> right so it's batman 89 the dark knight and joker it's a very joker themed batman day yeah which all right cool 
yeah. that's fine. Um, I mean, if I had a preference personally, I'd I would try and see the Dark Knight trilogy back to back in theaters personally. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what I would go for. But I don't know. I mean, it it'd be fun to like watch all three of those films, and I don't know, kind of have a a Joker fest, if you will. Joker yeah. kind of hijacking okay. Batman's day a little bit there, which is unfortunate. Yeah, are, are like they are they trying to hint at that, or maybe are they using this to kind of hype Joker up again as they get ready, you know, by next year, you know, the the Joker sequel. Oh, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Because it's coming out a month after, you know, what would be Batman Day 2024. So yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I so actually. Kinda... I actually wouldn't be shocked next year to see a double feature of Joker and Joker 2 happening oh, in October. Oh, sure. Yep, I could totally see that. Like, given the way that, that Barbenheimer sold out, I feel like Warners is going to try and capitalize on any kind of double feature pairing they can. Oh, yeah. I could totally see them doing that. And honestly, for a film that made over a billion dollars at the box office, you bet your ass they would be like, oh, yeah, let's put this movie back in theaters. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They would 100% jump at that opportunity to put that movie back in theaters. Especially if they do a double bill with Joker and Joker Two fully ado. Like yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't at all be shocked to not to, to to see that happen. Like if it doesn't happen, I'll be like, oh, wow, okay, yeah. But no, I, 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 I'm firmly in the idea that I, I think a a Joker double feature is absolutely happening. You know what? You know what? Joker fully ado absolutely actually has the luxury of. What's that? A release date so far out, Warner Brothers can't push it back because of the strike, like Dune 2. <laughs> yeah. Dune 2, uh, there were two... What was the... Uh, something else got pushed. Oh, Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah, Godzilla uh, got pushed, pu- pushed a month. Yeah. Which bummed me out because I am a... I mean, I grew up with Godzilla. I've seen... I think I've seen every single Godzilla film. Well, it's Godzilla x Kong, the new empire. It's that new one, but... Yeah. You know what? A month... They're, they moved in a month. I was like, okay, yeah, that's understandable. They moved Dune 2 from November to March. Yeah, that was... Mm. That's a ball buster is what that is. Yep. I was I was really excited to see Dune 2. <laughs> Which tells me that they are banking on this strike not lasting into the holiday. Yeah. That's what this tells me. Because if that's the case, if they weren't worried about this they would have also moved Aquaman 2. But the thing is, mm-hmm. they can't afford to move Aquaman 2 anymore anyway. They yeah, just they, they really can at this point. They can't. <laughs> With how much money they've sunk into it, no pun intended, no, yep. they can't move it. And you know what's even yeah. worse about that? We haven't seen an ounce of footage from this movie. We have seen absolutely nothing. Nothing since DC <laughs> Fandom 2021. Yep. And, and that, what does that tell you? This yeah. movie is only a few months away. Yep. That tells me that A, Warner Brothers is broke. Uh B, they probably don't have too much confidence in it, which sucks. And C, this movie has not been testing well at all. Like no. at all. And and this is also a friendly reminder. Saffron Company Peter mm-hmm. Saffron. Yep. This is this is one half of that duo, right? So, you know, bear with me here. 
Yeah, I'm looking at the I'm looking at it right here. Aquaman Lost Kingdom scheduled to be released on December twentieth, twenty twenty three. Budget two hundred and five million. Oh, you can be, have, the, there's no have way. A, have a feeling you're not gonna quite make your money back. On I have a feeling that that budgetary <laughs> number is not at all accurate. Yeah, I don't think two hundred five is. That just doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> at all. With the, with the amount of reshoots they've sunk into it, again, no pun intended. Yeah. Like I feel like that that film is going to be upwards of like two fifty, two fifty, two hundred fifty million. Like I, I feel like that's where the budget's going to land. Aquaman: The Lost Kingdom was scheduled to be released in the or is scheduled to be released in the United States on December twentieth, twenty twenty three. It was originally set for release on December sixteenth, twenty twenty two. Then it moved to but March. Was moved from there to March seventeenth, twenty twenty three. When Warner Brothers adjusted its release schedule due to the impact of the epidemic on the workload of visual effects vendors, it was then moved to December 25th, 2023, when Warner Brothers Discovery was trying to spread out marketing and distribution costs before moving up to December 20th. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Wow. Here's the one thing that I'm going to take away from Aquaman 2 as far as just a creative standpoint goes. There's absolutely no way this movie can look worse than The Flash. Right. Because if James Wan shot it, right. I have I have nothing to worry about. I yep. don't. Granted, people close people I have I have faith in have have confided things into me about this film that I I I am hesitant about in in regards to it from a from a general perspective because there are plot points in this film that I think are that that may or make or break the audience depending on who may or may not show up um but even still like this film at least to me since james wan shot it reshot it did reshoots whatever or if you know anyone else had taken over reshoots when while james wan might have been otherwise preoccupied elsewhere whatever you know it it really is like to me anyway visually speaking of the DC films this year, The Flash is the one that doesn't look the best, if you ask me. And I oh, and, totally. And, and and you know what? Again, like if James Wan is behind the camera, and it's gonna be like looking at Atlantis from the first film, cool. I have nothing yep. to worry about visually yep. speaking. I don't know about the story. We'll see about that. I love this little tidbit right here. James Gunn confirmed that Aquaman: The Lost Kingdom, alongside The Flash would lead into the DCU's first film, Superman Legacy. Oh, oh, okay. Well, Flash (laughs) didn't exactly do that. Um, Flash didn't introduce nothing. Get out of here with that. The only thing the Flash established was that the multiverse is a thing in DC. That's it. That's That's literally it. And it really didn't make much of an impact because that film bombed at the box office. So it's not like anyone... It's it's well, more. It, it it's, made it made no. Its story made no impact to anything. It, it, it didn't it, do anything. It didn't do anything. But on top of that, it's like it's kind of a like, yeah, no shit, kind of thing yeah, that, that you, exactly. can ima- you can imagine yeah. the general audience just kind of went, yeah, no shit, cool. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you say I mean, stuff you, like that, and you say like Blue Beetle's the first character in the DCU, but this uh, movie isn't the first movie. It's like quote. it's it's dumb. It's yep. super dumb. That's that's the only thing that makes me curious about. Okay, so how is Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom going to lead us into the DCU? Honestly, I want Aquaman two to be a standalone Aquaman sequel. That's what I want. 
I don't I don't want to know how it leads into the DCU. I don't give a shit if Jason Momoa recast gets recast as Lobo. I I just don't give a shit anymore. I really don't. Here, here's the thing. I bet you, after what we saw with the Flash, this is what I think is going to happen. I think Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is an Aquaman movie. I think this entire film is going to be just Aquaman dealing with Atlantis and everything related to Aquaman. Bet you anything, the post credit sequence is going to be something that ties it to the DCU. And it's gonna piss us both off. Oh, I don't. I don't even want to think about that. Truthfully, that I, is I just, how. Nope. With him saying that it's going, that this film is going to lead us into the DCU, this film is going to have absolutely nothing to do with the DCU until the post-credit scene. I don't know. I'm not even gonna try and guess at this point. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I just want to see something from the movie before I see the movie. That, that's all I'm asking. Truthfully, like I just want to see something from the movie before the movie comes out. Or I'm sorry, it's gonna have it's either gonna have a post credit scene or it's gonna have a ending akin to the flash. Oh, I can wholeheartedly see it having an ending akin to the flash. Yep. Matter and of fact, that will be and that will be how it it's gonna have absolutely no hints of anything. It's gonna have no ties to a multiverse or hint at anything like that. And then you know, either the last scene or the post credit scene is gonna be some DCU tie in. You know, James Gunn has said he didn't mess with Sandberg's Shazam 2, right? But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but your wife's in the post-credit sequence. <laughs> and yeah. then and then, you also factor in, again, his wife had a, a role in Black Adam, and he also said, you know, I had nothing to do with that. It's like, mm, but your right. wife's in the movie, dude. Right. So yeah. did you or didn't you? Like... I, I look. I don't. Okay, okay, and also to be fair, Black Adam was also before he got stated into to the position that he's in. Let's also address that mm-hmm. as well. Okay, right. Okay, sure. Anyway, even still, and then you look at what he did with the Flash, and then you look at Blue Beetle, and you go, "Oh yeah, no, he didn't touch this one at all." Mm-hmm. Right, and it's like, why couldn't you do that for the Flash? Yeah. Like, why couldn't you just leave the Flash ending ambiguous? Because that would have honestly been a much better lead into to who's batman like you know oh i don't know who batman is that's the mystery that and you just lead that going into the dcu that would have been a much better thing because we, we everyone had to do everyone already knew who his superman was going to be because you're going to have to cast him before you put him in the suit anyway so there was no yep. real surprise there with the with the whole who's batman thing you can make that a fun thing until it actually happens so like i, I don't know i i just think that dude's gonna run his universe and he's gonna do something i don't know i have absolutely no idea if aquaman if aquaman honestly has a place in the dcu and it's still jason momoa i'd be shocked and i'd even also be shocked to see gal gadot continue as wonder woman apparently gun and saffron promised her a third movie but people at variety are being like oh no we heard different it's like well yeah. now it's a game of telephone of who's a liar mm-hmm my money's on the my money is on the journalist. Yep. That's just me personally. Because Wonder Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman is in a slightly different position than say a Ben Affleck Batman or a Henry Cavill Superman, where they took on the role after so many different actors did in, in so much amount of time. There's never been a live action Wonder Woman on film. She's the first. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Now, granted, people could say, oh, Linda Carter. Television, yes, that's film. You're right. But even still, like live-action film, feature-length film, Gal Gadot, only mm-hmm. Wonder Woman. So if they if yep. and, and narratively, if any characters could carry over by the multiverse logic, exactly. Yep. With the multiverse logic laid out in the Flash, if certain things run parallel, then yes, that's exactly why you could get away with having the same Wonder Woman, having the same Amanda Waller, having the same Harley Quinn, having some mm-hmm. of the same cast from the Suicide Squad. That's the literal only way you can get away with it. Yep. And that's the and that may be my own personal headcanon of justifying certain people staying and certain people getting the boot, sure. But at the same time, it makes a hell of a lot more sense than the than the bullshit they tried to pull with Fox and the X Men. It's the only way it could make sense, in my eyes. Now, look, we've also even talked about how, you know, Snyder's story was supposed to wrap up with like a third Flash film that would have revealed Eobard Thawne as a puppet master. Like we've gone yep. over that dis- that that despair. Okay. Mm-hmm. If J Jay- look, Zack Snyder gave me. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, the Justice League. He basically gave me adult super friends. He gave me Dark Side. He gave me Martian Manhunter. Right? Yep. James Gunn already cast Guy Gardner. <laughs> yeah. I hope to God <laughs> that when they have Batman and Guy Gardner on the same screen at the same time, that it's to punch Guy Gardner. That's what I want to <laughs> see from James Gunn's DC Universe. If he gives me that. I'm pretty sure anything else I can either look at and be like, yeah, okay, maybe not for me, not watch at all, or at best, give it a pass. Yeah. If you show me Batman knocking out Guy Gardner, you get a thumbs up from me. (laughs) Maybe I'm too easy in that respect, but hell, at this point, I've seen a lot of really cool shit in a lot of different movies. I haven't seen Batman punch a Green Lantern yet, and that's the only thing (laughs) left on my bucket list as far as Batman and live action goes. And if James Gunn pulls it off, more power to him. <laughs> on top of the fact that he's also doing Batman and Son, which is also different. So, well, yeah, that'll be nice. And if they actually manage to do the whole Bat family in one movie, I'll be even more shocked. Because that's a big cast. Yeah. D- depending on who you want in that movie and who you don't want. And honestly, I could see a streamlined version of it being like, you know, you've got Batman, Damian Wayne as Robin, Dick Grayson, Nightwing. Either or, Jason or Tim, maybe both if you're lucky, and then I would guess Barbara, Cassandra Kane, maybe Stephanie Brown. It somehow got all of them in a single film. That would be insane. If they got every one of those characters in one film, I'd be shocked because yeah. that that is a huge cast. And not only is that a huge cast, that's a lot of Batman history squeezed into one cast. That you yeah. have a balancing board to try, so good luck with that. And honestly, if there's anyone who could probably balance that board, it's probably Andy Muschietti. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, he's dealt with a whole cast of kids before, so. Yep. I mean, you're just dealing with Batman and his children. There's there's the difference. And, thank... and he's shown that he can handle kid characters. Not only that, thank God Christina Hodson's not writing that movie. Because <laughs> she wrote The Flash. Duh. Yep. And <laughs> oh, Bumblebee. Man. And Birds of Prey, which I actually like Birds of Prey, fair enough. Like in, in fairness, I think Birds of Prey is probably the best project that she has on her resume at the moment. 
but no. When when I saw the news that she passed on Brave and the Bold and took on Fast Eleven, I was like, okay, cool. You, 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 you should take a break from DC because you need it. You I'm not you, saying. You? I'm not saying she's a horrible writer. I'm just saying she needs a break from DC. <laughs> and that's the, that's the best way I'm gonna put. I I feel like there was. Oh, you know what? She also wrote the the canceled Batgirl film. There we go. That that was the other one I was thinking uh. of. And that was kind of my worry because she was kind of for a minute there, like writing a lot of Batman stuff, and I was like, you didn't really give him much of a presence in Birds of Prey, so I don't really know how I'm gonna feel with you taking the character on with full reins and then even seeing Keaton's Batman and Batflex Batman I was like okay this is this is kind of what I'm used to and this is also kind of what I remember from from 2017 <laughs> it was kind of like that it was kind of like a mixed bag which <sighs> that's a tough tightrope to fall I just I don't know I don't know I don't know. I'm all I'm saying is I'm I'm glad someone else is going to crack the Brave and the Bold script and I hope to God it's not James Gunn. I hope it's Andy Muschietti and someone he's worked with before. That's who that's what I hope for. Like do not get a big name. Do not get Yeah, here's you know, hoping. Do not like try and bring in a Batman writer. I'm I mean sure, bring in a Batman writer, right? Yeah, no, I, I hope Muschietti gets someone else to write the script with that that that's what i'm hoping for yeah one can only hope yeah one can only we're hope. just we're we're in such uncharted territory at this point i know we don't know the direction of any of this stuff at this point it's nope. just like man you know what else was really unexpected uh i already know what you're gonna say yep because this is the last thing we have to talk about before we sign off um unfortunately bat family we we lost uh, another member of the bat family and that was arlene sorkin unfortunately passed away august 24th past couple days ago um due to uh, they cited health issues in the hollywood reporter article so um she was the first voice of harley quinn uh she was essentially the spirit of harley quinn she was essentially harley quinn more or less she is harley quinn in my eyes again i'm biased because i grew up with it just like kevin conroy is the voice of batman Arlene Sorkin will always be the voice of Harley Quinn for me. Yeah, I don't think there's really... I mean, look, Tara Strong does a really great job, too. Like, there, there's she no does. denying that. Mm-hmm. And there's also been another couple great voices, too. Like, you know, you've got... Uh, oh, oh, damn it. Who plays Bernadette in, in, in Big Bang Theory? Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Uh, Savannah Welch, uh, I think, is the actress's name. I, it, it escapes me. I feel really bad, but... She does a really solid. Well, she does the voice in Batman and Harley Quinn, and that's well, that's a movie that exists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's one that I couldn't finish. She's she's got a she's great voice in Harley Quinn. She's great. I, I like Kaylee Cuco too. I like Kaylee Cuco's Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Um, but more often than not, the, the voice is often done by Arlene Sorkin, who. I think the last time she did it was Arkham Asylum. I think that was the last time she voiced Harley Quinn because City was when Tara Strong took over. Yes. Yep. So, uh, Melissa Melissa Rauch. Melissa Rauch. Was... There we go. Wow. Where did I get Savannah Welch from? Holy shit. <laughs> 
I'm yeah, I, was, I was looking dingus. through the list. Of, I, was, I was looking through the list of names. I was like, I don't see a Savannah anywhere. But yeah, Kaylee Cuoco does a good job. I, I I really like her interpretation of Harley Quinn. But um, yeah, for me, hands down, Arlene Sorkin. All yeah, because because Dini and and Tim, I think, saw her on on an episode of Days of Our Lives where she's playing a a, a clown and and yeah. like it, more or less like that that character is Harley Quinn like in personality. In yep. terms of voice and whatnot, so yeah, it was really unfortunate to fu- to see that news the same day as Bob Barker and like you know Bray Wyatt and a couple of days earlier yep. before that. It's just it's just been an absolute shit show for celebrities and you know Hollywood and the entertainment industry. It's just been really unfortunate about. The I mean, losses. it's just it's just crazy to think because we did cover. I mean, we covered when we were doing our Batman animated series. Uh, reviews we covered a joker's favor uh, which is the episode where harley quinn debuted right and i mean this is a character that was supposed to be kind of a a one shot apparently she was only supposed to be in one in that single episode she right. was just going to be like a henchwoman uh like a goon almost for the joker but people took to her really quick and next thing you know i mean look at where harley quinn is at now right I mean, there's films devoted entirely to harley quinn exactly yeah she's become just as much as a staple as you know wonder woman and aquaman and batman and superman and green lantern and flash like she's she's risen through the ranks like she's up there as like one of those notorious characters of dc like she's yep. arguably an a-lister now i mean very similar honestly if you kind of think about it it's similar to that first season of harley quinn on max Ish. Um, yeah, I suppose she, she started as kind of a side character and worked her way up to being a main player. And now she's even a hero of Gotham City, based on what I've seen in stills and stuff from season four. I haven't watched season four yet. I haven't either. We'll get to it, I'm but sure. Yeah. But yeah, that was just very, very sad to see uh, again after you know bob barker and bray wyatt me being a massive pro wrestling fan bray wyatt's passing hit me pretty hard and then to find out that you know a voice that i've grown up with is now gone well, not only right that, after uh, you know right after you know kevin or conroy not right after kevin conroy yeah but yeah it's just been it's been tough it's been tough for me as someone i mean again batman the animated series is one of my favorite forms of media and to see these voices that i'm never going to hear again it's it's tough yeah absolutely i mean i i saw that mark hamill gave a tribute to arlene sorkin on twitter and it's just really unfortunate i almost kind of hope i don't think maybe they won't do it but i'd kind of like to see a tribute to her in the next joker since harley quinn will in that film you know, I don't just know a quick, uh, a quick little you know for Arlene tribute in there well you know they did have her little cameo in Birds of Prey where she it was the, the clown she played on Days of Our Lives like they played that clip in Birds of Prey so there was that oh. but um, yeah I don't know I feel like they're, if anything you're probably going to see like a, you know dedicated to at some point in the mm-hmm. Harley Quinn show, or maybe even in, in Joker 2, you'd have to think there might be a special thanks there somewhere, too. Yep. It, it, it's only right. 
Like, because again, like she was pretty crucial to that character's creation. And it's a, it's a, it's a special case because this, this isn't like a, a comic book character where it's just, you know, from, you know, where two couple people come together and create a character and you give it dialogue and you give it character, you give it, you know, color, you give it a costume, whatever. No, this was, this was, you know, an animated character. Like you had to give it presence. You had to give it personality. You had to, you know, actually make this character feel real to some extent. And, and that carried over obviously because the characters become what she is today in 31 years, because again, this, she debuted with the animated series and I'm as old as the animated series. So, there you are, aging myself. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this uh, this uh, tweet that Mark Hamill put out. I'm not sure when, but it's just him kind of describing Arlene, and he says, uh, in the script, she was just an unnamed Joker henchwinch with no discernible personality. When Arlene began reading her lines in that unforgettable voice, so poignant and full of heart, I nearly fell off my chair. She brought so much more than what was on the page, and the legend was born. And I, that is, one thousand percent accurate. Oh man, I don't. She wanna... made that character her own. One hundred percent. Yeah, I don't even want to. That's, hmm. dude. Mark Hamill's all by himself. This is really yeah. unfortunate. It's it's yep. almost like the Joker grew old and watched everyone around him pass and he's so, got no one to tell jokes at anymore. Yeah. I'm sure someone's probably going to come jump down my throat about how shitty of a comparison it is, but you know what? To hell with you. This <laughs> yeah. is this is our this is the way we grieve on this show, so please do not do, do not come here with your negativity. We don't we don't we don't do that here. Anyway. No, man, that I saw that news and it just bummed me the hell out because yep. again, like the the such a prominent character from my childhood, such a prominent voice you hear in so many different versions of the same version of Batman. Like, you know, you've got, you know, Arkham Asylum, the animated series, however many times she reprised it for any kind of video game. Like, Arlene Sorkin was Harley Quinn, more or less. Yep. Like, there's really no other way around it. It's really unfortunate, and we will all miss her very much and dearly. And my heart goes out to her family. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to bring our 49th episode to an end. 49th. Wow, 49 getting, episodes. Getting ready for that big 5 We're getting old, man. Tell me about it. <laughs> but I do think our next episode is going to be pretty packed. Yeah. We're going to have a lot to talk about. I think we might have mentioned on 48 that we wanted to do um, animated movies. It, sorry, stories we'd like to see turn into animation. That was supposed to be this episode, but then the real world got in the way, and then, you know, certain Batman things came out yep. of the ether, so we decided to talk about them. And then, yeah, then the Sorkin news came out, and that was just like, I think I messaged you immediately, and I was like, we have to pay tribute Absolutely. the next episode. Absolutely, 100%. That was, that was from the go from the go that automatically that automatically prioritized over anything else yeah no matter what even though we didn't touch on it for very long but yes that was absolutely a priority from this episode for this episode was to talk about Arlene Sorkin and all the great things she contributed to that role I mean honestly when I think about it like I think one of my favorite probably Arkham Asylum like her whole 
performance in mm-hmm. that was just an, a, a step up from the Harley you remember in the animated series. Let's see, I think what's the one that sticks out, I don't remember the name of the episode, but it was the episode of the animated series where Harley tries to basically turn good. Uh, yeah. That that episode, as well as later on in when they kind of rebranded and so what was it instead of Batman the animated series, it was the Adventures the, of Batman and the, Robin. The new Batman Adventures. So the, yeah. they, they they did it twice. They did um the Adventures of Batman and Robin, and then it became the new Batman Adventures. Yeah. And there was an episode in there that explored Harley's origin, which Mad love. It's crazy to th- it's crazy to think that kind of similar to how the animated series kind of gave us a reinvention of characters like Mr. Freeze, who hit that kind of origin that they signified in the animated series has carried over all these years. They took this single character, Harley Quinn, who again was not even supposed to be a character. She was just supposed to be a goon. Yeah. And gives us this really tragic backstory to her as this psychologist who unfortunately the Joker takes advantage of plays on her emotions and just corrupts her. Right. I, I'll never forget watching that episode the first yeah. time. Mad love. Yep. Written by Paul Dini himself. Right. That is the origin, right? Yeah. That's, that's where it all started. That's where, uh, that's where, the Suicide Squad gets its its inspiration from the 2016 film, not the yeah, not, not guns. Yeah, 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 yep, yeah. The that that is actually that one actually got turned into a comic. If I'm not, it might have been one way or the other around. I don't know. Remember which one I came th- first? I think it was the. I think they did a one shot comic, and then, and then then it came out as an animated episode. It might have been vice versa, but I don't remember. Like, they might have done the episode and then done the episode as a one-shot comic. Yep, here we go. Actually, I just found it. In February 1994, the one-shot, The Batman Adventures Mad Love, recounting Harley's origin, was released. Huh. Written by Deanie and drawn by Tim, the yep. story marks their first comic book collaboration. Mad Love introduces Harley Quinn as a former psychologist named Harleen Quinzel, who fell in love with the Joker during her internship at Gotham City Arkham Asylum and details her transformation into the Joker's villainous accomplice. Well, there you have it. Yep. Uh, the story. Oh wow! The story received praise and won the Eisner and Harvey Awards for best single issue in the same year, and was later adapted into an episode of the same name in the new Batman Adventures in 1999. Wow! Five years later oh, is when okay. the animated episode corrected. came out. I stand corrected. It was a it was a story, and then it was a TV episode. Interesting. Yeah. All right, there you have it. Crazy. Yeah, I love that. All right, well, I believe our next episode, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to try and do uh, stories we'd love to see turn into animated films. We might even have a special mm-hmm. guest for that one. Uh, yep. We'll just see how time goes. We'll see what timing looks like. But, Craig, any final thoughts you'd like to offer our f- listeners and our friends in the cave before we take off? Um, I mean, like I said, these last couple of weeks have been pretty rough just with stuff that I've been dealing with. And then, you know, uh, the Midwest out here has been getting just absolutely wrecked with a nasty heat wave. We're finally coming out of the tail end of it. And then, you know, these new, this news of these, you know, prominent people in pop culture passing away. Just a quick reminder, everyone, just, just be good people. 
treat each other with respect, treat each other with love. We can we can moan and gripe and get mad about things that we don't like in media, in comic books and video games and all that stuff. At the end of the day though, it is those are exactly what they are. They are just a means for us to kind of escape from this unfortunate real world that we're living in. So again, just treat each other with respect, treat each other with love and care. If you've got loved ones, tell them that you love them, tell them that you appreciate them, and let's just not take this life for granted. Yeah, pretty much that. Don't take life for granted. That's where I'm at with it. Yeah. Well, that said, uh, I believe this is where we're going to sign off for the evening, as we always say. Keep it classy in the cave. If anyone wants to interact with us at any capacity whatsoever, feel free to drop us an email. Uh, eternalnightpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on the application formerly known as Twitter, now known as X at T-E-K mm-hmm. underscore podcast uh, feel free to follow myself on Vero Instagram threads just at unfiltered, you can also follow Craigie, Craigie over here uh, at Instagram and threads as well just Craigie underscore Omega uh, did I get everything? Am I missing anything? yep, yep, that sounds, that sounds good to me nope, oh, we, we also have a Facebook page there's that too, oh yes and uh feel free to leave us a review on any podcast catcher or itunes it we it would it helps the show gets noticed and we would greatly appreciate it but as we always say and as i just said moments ago keep it classy in the cave stay safe take it easy have a great day or night whatever your listening preference is we'll see you for the big five oh big five oh yay yes i admit it As unprofessional as it sounds, I had fallen in love with my patient. Pretty crazy, huh? Not at all. As a dedicated, career-oriented young woman, you felt the need to abstain from all amusement and fun. It's only natural you'd be attracted to a man who could make you laugh again. I knew you'd understand. Anytime. Then there was that horrible week when he escaped. The poor thing was on the run, alone and frightened. I was so worried. They've got him! Thank you for listening to the Eternal Night Podcast. This podcast is not affiliated with Warner Brothers Discovery or DC Studios. 
If you would like to follow along with the show, you can do so. Uh, just search for T-E-K underscore podcast on X, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to listen to the show, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. If you would like to leave us an email, feel free to do so. Eternalnightpod at gmail.com. Thank you for your time.